Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome back to We Move Through Stormy Weather, a fish podcast where we compare and contrast songs and the evolution of their jamming styles throughout the band's career. My name is Ryan Storm, and today I am joined by Scott Marks. Scott has been a part of the Fish.net setlist team since 2009 and has been on the board of directors for the Mockingbird Foundation since 2015. From his BizArchive account on Twitter, Scott provides live updates from fish shows and fish content in general to the masses. Scott, you can say hi. Hello. Thank you so much for being on today. Really, really excited uh, to talk some fish with you. This has been an episode that I have been looking forward to recording for a while. Huge fan. Um, you know, been following you for a really long time. I've also been bothering you with teases that I find in jams for a really long time. But yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited to chat with you. Yeah, I'm excited too. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about, uh, before we dive into the song that you picked, uh, let's talk a little bit about how you got into fish. Uh, I got into fish. Uh, I had a friend who had played me Picture of Nectar in spring of 94. And you know, it's one of those real love at first listen experiences where the first notes of Llama came on and I loved it and um, the guitar and, and page and just everything. And um, the rest of the album was was the same thing. I just had on CD and listened to it a ton and then got uh, Hunta and just started getting all the other albums at that point and graduated the tapes a couple of years later. Um, concert tapes and uh, saw my first show in Hartford 97 and uh, had wanted to see them for at least a year beforehand before I finally got a chance to and the, the rest is history as they amazing. say amazing uh, how many shows are you at now 351 that's that's the dream right there <laughs> um, so a life a life well spent and very much enjoyed for sure so you pick Stash to talk about today. This is a song I have been definitely excited to dive into. Um, what made you pick Stash? Um, so Stash is one of those songs that was also off a picture of Nectar. And so I, you know, I've, I've enjoyed it throughout the years. And when it gets really good, like the, the couple of ones that we're, we're going to go through tonight, it's such a pleasure to experience. Yeah. So, uh, why don't you uh, dive into your pick a little bit? Um, you know, Amsterdam 97. So I chose the stash from 7297 on Amsterdam. And what strikes me about this right off the bat is you, you have a, a summer that was so funk oriented and dominated. And then you have this stash, which clocks in at over 25 minutes and there's no funk at all. And it's just, it, it's a fantastic version of improvisation, uh, beautiful melodies, and um, one of those rare 
unfinished stashes because they're so far out they never get back home and um it's always been one of my go-to jams for a long time and uh, i figured if we're we're gonna talk stash that's probably where i wanted to go yeah it you know to me it's one that i i haven't revisited this jam in a little while so i'm, I'm glad i had the opportunity to but it's one of my favorite uh, fish jams of all time. I think one of my favorite, you know, obviously one of my favorite uh, bliss segments that they've ever done. Um, and, and summer 97 is probably my favorite uh, tour of 1.0. You know, I, I prefer it to, I prefer the sound of the summer to the fall. Um, I think, I think there's a more organic sound uh, to the funk, especially, and just to the band in general. Um, it seems like the fall, I don't know. The, the fall doesn't seem as uh, clean uh to me if 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 that makes any sense um but but the summer to me just trey's tone and how the band sounds you know page exploring his uh his new yamaha cs60 synth in a lot of the jams you know fishman leading and and one thing that struck me about the early part of this stash is that it feels like all four band members are trying to lead the jam at the same time which is really cool because if you go back even a year previously you know or even later in the year, you know, you're going to find a lot of jams where it's just Trey pushing ahead and the rest of the band following him. So it's interesting to see, um, you know, on this Europe 97 tour, how you get moments like that, where they're taking that conscious step towards the more democratic improvisation and all of them are, you know, leading in a sense. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I did feel that Trey was in control for, a lot of this stash, but you can definitely hear uh, other pieces involved. Um, and you know, Fish was adding a lot of percussion midway through. And it's like each time you listen to a song like that, you, you hear something different. Mm -hmm. uh, there are certain things that you come back to every time, and then something else is like, oh, I, I hear that before, even though it's been there the whole time. So you just get a different perspective on it. Yeah, and I, I really like the uh, the ambient intro that they do before dropping into stash at the beginning. Very patient stuff as they, you know, tended to do uh, in this era. But if you know, it felt to me obviously like a, a later '90s ghost intro. You know, with Trey setting up those uh, boomerang like loops. Um, yeah, the loop was, really was cool. there. Um, you, know, you have like two and a half minutes of noise, ambience, and mm -hmm. some loops. And not not as pronounced as you'd have in maybe ninety nine or two thousand for the those long ghost loop intros, but it was definitely uh, a predecessor, if you will. Mm -hmm, for sure, and it's interesting also how you know at around the two minute and ten second uh, mark, uh, the song Trey starts you know backs away from the textural stuff and starts playing some notes, and he's like toying with the stash riff. He doesn't quite play it but you know he's he's dancing around it uh for about a minute before they drop into the jam and i thought that was a really cool thing yeah definite foreshadowing or if you didn't get the stash you could have been like oh they could have gone there but they obviously did in the situation mm -hmm. definitely um yeah and then this stash you know it what's really cool to me about this stash and the one that i picked which is shoreline 2021 fish spends a really big part of the Amsterdam one and all of the shoreline one keeping that stash hi-hat going. And so it like it grounds it in the song while the rest of the band is out. Like, you know, they could be in a different key, totally different mood, but it still retains that element of stash because of what Fishman is doing. And I, I think, you know, that's something really amazing to listen to, you know, because with everything that he's doing on the drum kit, he's still keeping that steady hi-hat going basically the whole time. Yeah. I mean, it, it took a good 20 minutes for fish to finally lose that, mm -hmm. that stash groove. Like you, you listen, like, is it type two? Is it type two? No, no. Fish still has that anchor. Then he finally lifts it and there's no going home at that point. Yeah. And I, I mean that, that, that bliss jam that they get into, you know, after fish, let's go with that stash the hi-hat really around the, the 21 uh, minute mark, you know, Trey gets into that progression and then fish catches on and immediately pushes the jam gives it, you know, to me, it feels like, you know, you're going, you're like 
you know, in a boat or something. And then you get like this little wave that just pushes you and then you start like just moving faster. Um, and it just from there, it's just complete butter for minutes of just this beautiful, beautiful jam. And it, it, it's it's incredible. It's some of the most beautiful fish that I've Ever. heard. I mean, yeah. you have songs that that have that beautiful composed part, like the man who stepped into yesterday and, and the lizards and, and Harry hood. And then you have a good three, four five minutes at the end of the stash where you've had an idea that has started and then it's grown a bit. And then it kind of veers off in a different direction, but the seeds have already been planted and then it returns into a full blossom. Yeah. And, and good thing you mentioned uh, man who stepped into yesterday, you know, Trey kind of sounds like he's almost playing that, um, around 18 minutes and 45 seconds. I was getting that kind of vibe from the kind of licks he was playing. Really reminded me of um, Men Who Stepped Into Yesterday. And so I, I thought that was really cool. There's also a moment uh, a couple of minutes before, around 15.45, um, where they're playing what I, I would call it like a Zeppelin-like riff uh, Trey and Paige were doing. You know, that kind of gave that vibe to me. But it's cool when, you know, you kind of hear elements of different songs. I wouldn't call it a man who stepped into yesterday tease because Trey doesn't play, you know, the riff from it at all. But he's kind of playing in that kind of vein of dreamy repeating, uh, you know, lick like that. Yeah, the, the notes are in the neighborhood, if you will, but not not a true tease per se, but the same type of playing is is kind of there a little bit it's like it's like mike's passing through tees in the 10 31 18 tweezer that i've been trying to get notated for three and a half years that dirksen uh made the executive call that it was not a tease <laughs> in the neighborhood of <laughs> uh a jam akin to i think is the uh yes the special wordage that Mr. and to dirksen be fair i do um you know, on the goose side of things, I do use that language for a lot of people who are like, oh, there's a tease there. And I'm like, no, it's like not quite. <laughs> so for, for me to put a tease in to .NET, it's it's more like a, a musical quote. You have yeah. to have the, the notes actually there. Um, and so if somebody's teasing it like a real tease, then it's not, um, you know, they're just playing notes that are kind of around there. But mm -hmm. a, a direct musical quote is what I would consider a tease. And then like a verbal quote, they're quoting lyrics. That's, that's a quote. Yeah. Uh, my, so. my crowning achievement is getting, uh, is finding a cars, trucks, buses, tease from page in the two twenty eight Oh three tweezer last year. Well, you've you've was, got a few submissions in there. I, I have a few, but I think that's my, that's my most impressive achievement. You know, finding something 18 years later. I, I, I was, I thought it was really cool. Oh, there's, <laughs> there's always stuff to discover. Yeah, and it, you know, and it's cool seeing when you go back and do a deep dive on like 1992 or something, and then as you're going through, you're like finding teases left and right, you know, that weren't there before. It's you know, you, you listen with a new set of ears and you hear it differently. Absolutely. You know, like think it, think of how many hundreds of times, you know, even like you probably listened to the 22803 tweezer. You know, you don't you don't hear something like that, but then, and I've I also listened to it so many times before that moment and didn't hear it. And then it was when I was, we were talking about that tweezer on a, on an episode of the podcast. And so I was listening so closely to it and then it just like leapt out at me. So it, it, it's, it's cool to, you know, listen for that kind of thing and, you know, and try to make the distinction between jam akin to and an actual tease. 
I think part of it is like oftentimes we'll have music on while we're doing something else. Um, yeah. and you're, you're listening to it, but you're not listening to it. Um, as opposed to like, you're sitting on the couch, you have a pair of headphones on with no other distractions and you're listening to it. And then all of a sudden you're paying a little more attention than you might've normally done. Uh, that's not to say that you could still catch a tease that you didn't hear, you know, mm-hmm. driving in the car or whatever, but you know, the, the more you, you focus on something, the better chance you might, you might find something, I think. Yeah. And yeah, you know, you, you catch it in all different places. Like, you know, even when like we're listening to the show, you know, yeah it's 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 just really cool to listen for those kinds of things then draw the map of how common is this tease does it pop up anywhere else like you know something like a san jose or streets of cairo stuff like that that pops up everywhere um it's it's just it's really cool once trey gets a riff once trey gets a riff on his brain it's it's there (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah you know last year there was mountain jam everywhere especially in the later half of the year, I think, uh, gorge through the fall. Yeah, there are a couple instances where that, that riff definitely showed up. Yeah, it's 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 just, it's teasing's fun. Um, back to the stash. Uh, it was a solid tangent. We're, we're doing well. <laughs> Some Another thing that stuck out to me in this version, you know, is just how incredibly fluid, uh, you know, Fishman's drum playing is and how he's not, the type of drummer that plays in like a tight groove, um, which, which isn't a bad thing. You know, most drummers will, when they play, you know, they're, they're in a groove and, you know, they're in a defined time signature and they're playing in that groove. And while fish improvises in four, four, the majority of the time, it's not as plain as just like a, you know, to non-musicians, um, who hear it, it doesn't just sound like a, a tight groove because of how Fishman drums. Um, and I mean, I, I may be speaking out of my ass here because I'm a musician and I hear the time signature when I'm playing. I'm just spitballing here. Um, but the way he plays is so cool because there's so much space in his, uh, there's so much space in his groove and his beat and what he's playing. And, you know, he just seems everywhere on the kit at once, which is, remarkable i found it interesting um when you're comparing the shows that are 24 years apart um like fishman's there in 97 but like listening to that other stash from shoreline which we'll get to uh, he was a lot more in control of the jam i thought um, and, and that stash, but mm-hmm. also for me, I, I saw a bunch of shows last year and I kept gravitating towards what fish was doing, which may have always been there, but again, you, your ears pick up different things as you progress. Um, mm-hmm. and sometimes you're, you're more tuned into one musician than another, but, um, I just noticed that fish was driving so many of the jams last year. Um, especially that stash. Yeah. You know, in the stash, like there are certain moments where it actually sounds like he has a second percussionist with him. Like it's just unbelievable uh, listening to that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like last year was such an incredible year for fish. Uh, You know, he was more assertive than, you know, in jams. than I think we've ever seen, Um, you know, he's always been obviously an incredible drummer, but last year was like taking it to another level. And, you know, as again, as I say in every episode, you know, a band in their 38th year, you know, taking it to another level and Fishman being, you know, the age that he is like, he's not his, he's not playing with the speed uh, maybe that his, uh, you know, mid nineties self was playing with, but he, you know, there, there was a discussion on Twitter recently, like which members of fish could still hang with their, uh, you know, like 1995 selves. And I think Fishman more than could. Like, I, I think Paige and Mike as well, obviously Trey, not as much, but Fishman could more than hold up to, you know, himself from 25 years ago in terms of just incredible drumming. I could see that for sure. Like, you know, what what he's lost in just straight speed, 
he's gained in complexity and fluidity and just utilizing the drums as more of, um, you know, something to lead the jam as opposed to tying the jam together, which obviously it still does, but it's, you know, he's taken on a different role in the band as all of them have as their jamming has evolved. But I, I think, you know, Fishman's a really interesting case to look at because he doesn't have the uh, melodic component that Paige and Mike do, you know, when, when they've stepped up, you know, in the modern era and led jams more um, instead of Trey uh, taking the lead on all of them. So it's, you know, it's really cool to look at. It's, um, it's definitely neat to, to see how everything evolves and see who's in control at any given point. Yeah. Um, so more in this stash, I really like the, the, you know, post bliss jam, uh, when they do that few minutes of like space and scuzz, I like to call it, um, page, uh, you know, using, he's using the Moog source, uh, synthesizer, I believe here, not the CS 60. So that's the one that he's had since, uh, 94 at this point. Um, but it, it's, it's really cool. Um, you know, Trey with like this, just like low droning sound and, you know, oh, and Mike had a bass solo. I totally skipped over Mike's bass solo. That was really cool. What, what do you think of the bass solo? I think we need more bass solos, <laughs> especially if they sound like this. Absolutely. Like really, really, really cool, uh, vibe, especially sticking with that bliss progression is, you know, the other three band members quiet down and almost drop out as Mike just leads it and it, it does sound like he he uh puts down the pick and switches to finger style for a while in here now now you're going beyond my <laughs> my brass knowledge of music i i don't know a ton about guitar or, or bass playing but uh I'll i just know that it, you know it's it's finger picking versus using a pick and so it has it has a different sound sure um but yeah no it, it's really really cool i i kind of described around the 28 minute mark as like an angry cloud appearing on the horizon you know as it's kind of coming in very ominous kind of and it takes over from you know the bliss segment which is already a cool juxtaposition from where they were earlier in the jam and then you know and then i immediately went in and listened to shoreline um which is even further in that dark uh you know synthed out space and obviously they have the benefit of their 2021 uh effects and instruments um so there's a, a wider range of sonic palettes they can get to but you know it's really cool you know to hear the difference in how they approach a jam like that you know 1997 versus 2021 well and that and you you look at how weird of a start it goes into llama you know you don't right. see a lot of songs having a jam going into Llama. Llama usually just starts right off the bat and this kind of builds and builds and builds and there it is. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting transition between the two songs. Um, yeah. Kind especially of that, that post bliss. Yeah. Especially with Trey just hammering that open opening chord to Llama out of this cloud of space. Um, yeah, it was, it's really cool. And, and it happens really fast as well. Yeah, I've listened to this set and this show. I mean, the the first set's no, uh, no slouch either. I mean, I love when a, a Mike song opens a show, um, and so yeah. When you're looking at really a four song second set, um, which we don't get those too often. So now it's easier to do when you have like almost a thirty minute stash to open things up, but um it's it's a it's great but it's also weird that Wormtown jam in the middle um, so weird i mean it's also it's it's technically a, a three song second set because you know one of the tracks is Wormtown jam well so is that a song it's kind of swing town uh from kind steve of. miller band so i guess um, but they called it Wormtown instead, but, you know, um, I guess it depends on who you ask. We, we have it on Fishna as a, a four song set, uh, live fish has it, has it at... tracked out as four songs. Okay. 
Yeah, it has Stash Llama, Wormtown, uh, Velvet Sea. Um, yep. But yeah, you know, it's interesting to look at things like that as well. Like, you know, is 12-30-19 a four-song second set? Um, ah, there are lots four songs of controversy played, on that one. But they're, you know, they go back into two of them, so does it count? Um, I'm of the mind that it is a four-song second set um, because they play four songs. You know, I wouldn't call, you know, dropping into the tweezer riff and then jamming for two minutes, a fifth song, you know, and then Ruby waves by extension there. Like, but interested, what what are your thoughts on that one? So my thoughts aren't going to change your thoughts or anyone else's thoughts. Of course. Um, that's what, that's what fish street. fans are like. Yep. Um, if you ask me, I think it's a, a six song set. Um, Cause you have, transitions going back and forth there are four unique songs that are played but there are six songs total um so i would not consider that to be a true four song set like they did in mexico or they did last fall or a couple times in 97 and throughout history uh but hey that's just just a couple in 97 i feel like just a few a ton (laughs) Yeah, no, and, and it's cool when something like that happens too. You know, like San Francisco last fall, that's an incredible set. Um, Mexico from, yeah, just, just recently, this past February. Really, really incredible. Were you in Mexico? I was not. Oh, okay. I, I couldn't remember if you were there or not. But that that wow. is a really phenomenal set. Um, you know, I haven't really spoken about that run as much, and I haven't gone back into it as many times as I would have liked because, you know, I've been – analyzing goose tour for the last uh you know month but you know i i've gone back to that set a few times and just all four of the songs are just like perfectly placed the jams are incredible and it's it's really cool because by this indication you know i think we are going to see a continuation of the fire from 2021 coming coming back this year uh, just based on the spaces they reached in these improv in yeah, in the improvisation, not only in this set, but across the four nights. You know, Trey's playing still seems to be really confident. You know, Paige adding a new synth to his rig is always a good thing. Yeah. What, what were your thoughts on uh, Mexico? Um, I, I thought the jams were, were fantastic. You know, they, they've they stepped it up the last few years they've played down there. I, I felt like the, mm-hmm. well, the first year or two wasn't really you snooze, you lose type of thing. And all of a sudden, the bust-out started coming out, and the 20-minute jams started coming out. Yeah. Um, and you know, as polarizing as it was this year, I mean, you, you had Dave Matthews coming out on stage for the first time since I loved that. 1995. Um, from a, a fish a historical standpoint, uh, it's a very special thing that happened because, you know, the, these are two major touring bands uh, that do not play in the same place at the same time, and to kind of have you know, this, the streams crossing a little bit, um, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters, if you will. Um, <laughs> I, I thought it was, um, it was it was it was a cool thing to, to witness. And then, you know, I was a bit surprised that Dave Matthews had never actually played a fish song with fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then he's doing like the tweezer prize. He, he'd done bathtub gin and, and waste, you know, on his own, but to actually sit in with fish and do that. And then you had the, the maker that had been played since 94 with, uh, with fish. Um, so I feel like those are once in a lifetime experiences that people have gotten a chance to see like the shafty shenanigans and, 2020 uh or sea and sand that had been played since 95 uh or or willin which hadn't shown up since um the, the halloween show who loves the sun getting played spock's brain getting busted out you know and you try not to go into shows looking for bust outs or jams uh but they they've certainly treated the fans that have been down there uh, these last few years to something a little above average. Yeah. And then expanding it to a four night run was really cool as well. You know, I, I think definitely, as you mentioned, they really um, raised the bar for the 2019 run. You know, I, I feel like 2016 is more surprising, 
you know, than anything coming off of a great year like 2015, um, you know, that they wouldn't have thrown down a bit harder for the first Mexico run. Um, 2017, you know, kind of was a very, you know, fall 2016 run. Like there were some bright spots that 115-17 show is like a dream on paper, um, you know, which is always crazy to me because, you know, it doesn't really have any uh, meaningful jams. Like I don't think anything's even over 15 minutes, but it's like they were like, okay, we're going to play all the hits in one show. You know, you've got like Tweezer, Bowie, Carini, Hood, everything. Well, that and by the time 2019 came around, you had some monster jams that were showing up in the set lists. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you would you would ask or you would talk about if the trend from fall 2021 is going to go into this summer. Or not, and I, I don't know if it's it's a it's a foregone conclusion. Um, like she didn't really have it at the the ninth cube, so they could really go either way. Um, you know, it could have just been a continuation from uh from the fall, or it could have been, hey, we're gonna do the fall type stuff because it's Mexico. Um, you, you'll have a good idea by the time South Carolina shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the first leg, and then uh, maybe by Bethel in the second leg as to which direction they're going to go. Um, the the years of Fisher are not always even in True. terms of memorable jams uh, or, or playing. Uh, there are certain years, like summer 2015 and, and the Baker's Dozen in 2017, which to me stand out more than 2016 or 2018. It's not to say that 2016, 2018 were were bad years, but for me, there are certain years or certain runs that kind of uh, stand out head and shoulders above others. And right. I, I always say that one person's trash, another person's treasure. So somebody else might might not like the, the jams going 20 minutes or 25 minutes or 15. They they kind of want shorter, more contained stuff, more songs. So it, it, every every fan's going to be a little different in what he or she wants going into a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I mean, anyone who knows me knows I'm I'm a huge 2018 guy. Um, I, I I'm a big fan of 2018 fish, and you know, I I see why people don't like it as much. You know, like Trey's tone in 2018, not ideal. Um, you know, a lot of sloppy playing, but I think you know the jams that they were getting into that year really, you know pushing to expand past what they hit at the Baker's dozen and really find a new vein of creativity, um, which is really cool to do. Like, you know, once you've hit another in a huge line of career peaks, like they've done after doing, you know, 13 nights, 237 songs, then be like, okay, where do we go from here? And, you know, there was a lot of high expectations on summer 2018 because of the Baker's dozen. And I, you know, I think they definitely didn't live up to a lot of people's high expectations. But I think really, fall twenty eighteen um, was a huge step up from the summer. You know, a ton of just a ton of incredible jams coming every show. You know, first set jamming really coming you know, the back. Simple and the simple and Hampton, uh, especially. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, I think it was more of a a consistency thing um, where. You could go at 2015 um, by the end of July where they were night in, night out, they were having these jams. Mm-hmm. And obviously 2017 where when you're doing the Baker's Dozen and you're kind of confined into that 13-show realm, well, you're going to play 300 songs, you're going to do 237, you're going to jam out things that don't normally get jammed out, like uh, Steep. Um or MoMA dance, I think I got jammed out a little bit, but things like that. Long boy, then sample. Um, where you're going to see things that are kind of played out of the norm. Mm-hmm. And I felt like while there weren't, it wasn't the no repeat type of experience in 2021 uh, fall tour, there were a lot of similarities I felt between the Baker's Dozen and that fall tour. Um, where you you had 
you didn't know what you were going to get every night. I mean, you never know what you're going to get every night, but again, you'd have songs that were, were jammed out like Fluffin and ICU. Um, every song. 555 yeah. finally getting jammed out, you know, uh, yeah, after all uh, this time. Vegas. Uh, the Axel part two. Exilla, yeah. Trey, Trey was like, you know, let's jam this. And Nick, you, you know, free getting jammed again after so long. Like, yeah, I, I, I agree with that as well. It felt like every night was jam filled night. And they also. You know, I feel like last year they didn't go with uh, the set list calls that you would expect uh, most nights, which is also cool. You know, they only played Tweezer three times throughout the summer. You know, 2001 was only played a few times the entire year. And then I remember in fall tour, like, you know, I, I do. I'm part of this like little like fish bingo game where we try to we do like a bingo card for the set list every night. And I remember just not doing as well because you would go be like, oh, it's been like you know, six shows since they last played Mercury, like they'll play Mercury. And then they, you know, they only played it in Sacramento and then not for the rest of the tour. The, I mean, you have certain rules that you can apply where the disease will be played like every three shows, or whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, with a tour like that, the rules kind of get thrown out, mm-hmm. um, you know, and now I mean, you're looking at more of the, the newer songs, like Life Beyond the Dream, you could probably count on being played at every three shows. I but I, I figured sleeping. I but, figured I never needed you like this before was gonna get played, you know, sometime in Vegas or you know, Santa Barbara, but didn't get played after San Francisco. So crazy. That's that's definitely gonna be around for good though. I don't see it going away anytime oh, soon. Oh, not yeah. Um, love that song. That Arkansas, you know, I mean for for them to come back with that song, um, it just seems so so appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um where with the hiatus and with the breakup, that was the band's choice, and the band didn't have a choice regarding uh, the COVID. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you can look at it in a, in a real, you know, meaningful way that you know I really did never need you like this before. Um, right. You never realize what you have until you lose it. Yeah, and and from that, now that we're talking about 2021, let's talk a little bit about the Shoreline Stash. Oh, a very we all nice we always segue, find Ryan our way. Storm. We find our way back eventually. It it always it always comes back in a circle. Um, so Shoreline Stash. This is you know 2021 on full display right here. You know Trey digging into his new synthy pedals, both that bass synth and the crazy envelope filter. Page on synth for less of the jam uh, than I would have expected. You know, just going in, just looking in the context of 2021. You know, he resists uh, the synth for a while, you know, stays on piano for a good chunk. Um, and yeah, as we mentioned before, you know, talking about Fishman, he anchors it with that stash hi-hat throughout the whole thing. So can you still call it type two? Probably not. But is this still an absolutely incredible stash? Yes. I think it's still got to type two around uh, 630. Mm-hmm. Um it took which a little bit to get also, there, but which is know. also really cool because you know they're they've pretty much uh, departed the song a minute into the jam. For me, I, I don't see a lot of stashes these days showing up like the ones from the, the mid nineties, eight fifteen ninety three, six seventeen ninety five, Orlando which is different because it goes weaving in and out of songs. Um, and then obviously Amsterdam. And while the shoreline uh, stash didn't quite get to those levels, I think it, it stood uh, head and shoulders above a lot of the other stashes that have been played in the last several years. Mm-hmm, um, for sure. So, you know, I oftentimes when I, I fill up my phone with music, um, I'm not going to put entire shows on there because I, I'm going to run out of space on my phone. But I have a, my this, phone's 256 gigs. I'm like closing in on the point where I'm going to have to start calling things. <laughs> I'm getting there. I have a 256 also, but the stash definitely made it onto the phone from, from that show. So it was easy for me to pull up when I was doing my own deep dive, uh, for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, it was definitely one of the highlights of the show for me and a highlight of that first set. And anytime stash is showing up as, as a highlight, 
you're you're having a good night. Um, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. it, it was like a, an appetizer for that second set with Soul Planet, which I think the, the whole tour was an appetizer at that point in terms of <laughs> length of songs. But you know, I, I I was so happy to have a stash that kind of got out there a bit, um, and it, it really really showcased Fishman uh, in so many spots. Oh, it was yeah. just a, a perfect example of uh, of Fish 2021 right there in that song. Yeah, to, to me, he's doing this really cool thing earlier in the jam, like starting around five and a half minutes. It sounds like, you know, he's like galloping, but it's, on, it's only on the ride symbol. So it doesn't have that like driving force that it would have if he was doing it on the full kit, but it kind of adds a really interesting vibe for it, for sure. And then, and then, and then, you know, Trey, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, using those synth uh, tones, doing really, really cool stuff and, and gets like low and then high and he's kind of all over the place. Um, you know, Paige introducing these gentle synth swells uh, throughout while he's sticking to piano. Just really incredible work from all four of them. Yeah, Trey, I, I noticed twice in the jam that Trey switched his sound uh, like around six minutes in. And then uh, close to 14 minutes in. used to like that regular guitar sound all of a sudden it's completely flipped on its head and then goes back and forth and back and forth so it, it adds another element to the, the jam that you're, you're not necessarily expecting or used to yeah for sure um it, what's interesting also a really cool sound from this jam is trey uh you know he adds he adds some leslie into his you know tone around just after the 11 minute mark and Normally, when he uses it, he's going for more of a textural vibe. Like, you know, if you think of something like the Deer Creek Simple, the way he uses it there just adds that more, you know, spacey vibe to it as it gets thrown around uh, by the Leslie. With Since we're, we're talking around that that spot in the stash around 11 minutes in, um, is one of my, my favorite things about that stash. And really about fish in general. Um, so just before that 11 minute mark, Trey latches onto a groove where he has a high note and several descending notes and repeats it a few times. And it, I find it really interesting to see if like a, a real riff is going to develop. Um, mm-hmm. Like you take, uh, the nine six fifteen down disease from Dix, uh, the Piper, a couple songs later, where you have an idea, and then it, it progresses, and I mean, you can go back to the seventeen ninety seven stash as well, where it shows up, and then it, it comes back a few minutes later, and it's there for a few minutes. Um, Umphrey's McGee uh, has these Legos where they'll have jams or Jimmy Stewart's that may or may not turn into songs later on, or they just might be you know, unofficially teased like a couple of years before they become actual songs. Fish doesn't really, I mean, there, there's no Jimmy Stewart's for fish, but. I mean, they do have jams that do end up turning into songs. Right. Um, I mean, there are definitely pre teases that um, yeah. like Julius was teased before it became a song. Um, right. Or I mean, Wack waiting all was night born... uh, from Deer Creek. Uh, was a couple of years before. Uh, yeah. So there, there are definite examples Whack tube um, being born out of the Camden 2018 light. Yep. Uh, that jam. And Suskin Hotel was, was teased a couple times in 99. And then uh, that doesn't show up until uh, years later with uh, with Grab. And then, I mean, even years and years later for, for Fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's definitely there where you have an idea that's floating around in your brain and you, you play the riff. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to make a song out of this. Then it shows up years later 
I'm not saying that you're going to see a song developing out of that stash or out of the, um, the, the Dick's disease, but it is interesting to see where Trey sometimes has so many ideas going on in his head where he's going to do this for 30 seconds, that for 30 seconds to actually stop um, and focus on a, a groove and, and, and let it develop. Um, I don't think it happens a whole lot, but when it does, it's one of the coolest things that fish does. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, another thing I really like in this jam, I think this might be, I don't know if he used it earlier in the set. This might be the first instance of Trey using his uh, like phone dialing effect. You know, you know the one that uh, came about, I think he just added it to the rig at shoreline. That kind of one that you know, really the the simple catapult meat stick uh, from Dicks. You know, you know which one I'm talking about. It's it's hard to describe the phone, uh, the phone, the tone beyond it sounding like him dialing a phone. But it's a really cool effect and how it kind of treats the notes he plays. And I don't know exactly what it does I think or what I the, know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I didn't catch it, or if I did catch it, I didn't know what I was catching when I listened to it. I think this might um, be like I, a I, ring modulator or something. I don't know enough about. No, I, 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 I'm I'm picturing the the catapult meat stick, which is is more fresh on my mind uh, from from the Dick's show. It's more um, in the meat stick, I think. It was, it was somewhere around there. Um, yeah, but it, it's a, that's a really cool sound. Blended together on that show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Uh, yep. But yeah, no, it, it's you know it's a really cool effect, and you know again looking back on. The Amsterdam stash were really Trey's only effect was his were his delays and you know his whammy pedal, you know and here you have this full range of different octave pedals, synth pedals, you know envelope filters, what have you, you know and Page having so many more synths at his disposal and then all of them having an additional twenty four years of playing and experience, you know they they obviously approach these jams in very different ways and I think I think both of them are good examples of them finding an idea and exploring it really well. Uh, well, there are definitely more toys at their disposal now than there, there were in the uh, early 90s. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and Trey did have his own mini keyboard in 99. Uh, so and there, there were things, but now I, I think there's definitely a lot, a lot more. Um, you know, some things are more prevalent than others with uh, Trey and, his new devices and I mean, Paige has. Um, I don't think he always had the the clavinet. Uh, yeah, he got that in late '94. Yep. I mean, he also has um, his sound bites, which he likes to use quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and and also uh, in the shoreline stash, the return to the song is very smooth. Um, and you know, it's it's. It's cool because it just at around 15 minutes, 20 seconds, it just kind of falls the space and the machine noises that were happening just kind of fall away and we're back in stash. Yeah. You go back to stash and then they threw a little bit of a uh, Allman brothers in there, which I thought was cool. I mean, you're talking mm -hmm. about uh mountain jam or, or if you want to be specific Donovan's, there's a mountain. Um, but everyone calls it mountain jam. And then all of a sudden yep. you have uh, in memory of Elizabeth Reed showing up there. Uh, a little after 16 minutes. I um, I didn't hear that. So. Okay, well, I after we finish recording, I am going to go listen to that again because yeah, I didn't hear it. If you go to 1605 in... Can't believe uh, I missed that. It's like... It's 16.05 in there. Uh, and to anybody still listening, I, I apologize for using a little bit of my singing voice there. Um, oh, it's good. It's it, not my, it's, it's, not my it's day relevant. job, and there's a reason why. <laughs> when I when I see, when I think of an In Memory of Elizabeth Reed tease, I think of um, uh, the the 102818 Plasma, where he plays like the the melody, more of like that build thing. So it's it's cool. Also, you know, on the topic of teases we were talking about earlier, teasing different parts of a song and not just like the riff you'd expect. Right. Um, no, but you definitely have the, the main riff of elizabeth reed that you would uh expect and then all of a sudden there's that that leading you know mm -hmm. that, that build that gets teased instead uh, yeah right before the, the the main riff that you'd recognize so it's really uh, cool i mean i 
I was listening and looking at the cellist and I was like, I don't remember this. And then like, oh, there it is. There it is. Um, so that was, that was thrown in toward the end, um, as well. Yeah. Well, really amazing stuff. And I think that that's a good, uh, it's a good place to wrap up. It's been an absolute pleasure, uh, talking stash and fish with you today, Scott. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, looking forward to meeting you at MSG in April. Very excited for those shows. Meeting you as well, Ryan. Uh, thank, thank you so much for having me. It's it's my pleasure. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening to this episode. It's good to be back uh, doing some fish content. I'm excited to bring you more of these in the coming weeks, um, as well as continuing with uh, the wonderful goose content that we have started. Always almost there. Uh, but I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. We moved through stormy weather. Thank you so much for listening. Have a fantastic day. See you next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.